did it. Everybody, I am proud to announce, I'm happy to announce that the Media Boat Podcast is bringing it into 2020. We're doing it. We are the only people capable of saying that this year is over. And I'm here to say we can all rejoice. It's over. Yes, you were probably thinking, what does a media podcast who covers movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order, um, why do they have the jurisdiction to shut down an entire year? You know what? I have no answers for you. But instead, what I do have for you today is the Media Boat Podcast. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. This is the end of season five, four, five. 16, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20. Four. Five. No. Five. What? I think we did this last week, too. I think so it blew my all mind. 16, all well. 17, all 18, all 19, <laughs> and now all of 20. So I yeah, think I that counts to five. I guess you're right. End um, of season five. Yeah. Been a lot. A lot of episodes of this thing. Um, uh, yeah, episode 260. 260. Officially. Cool beans. So uh, today will be a weird show uh, because it's our last show of the year and this is like a dead time for news. We'll be pretty light on the news. Also, no new releases either. Uh, Movies are pretty much done coming out until we get into January proper. But the one thing we do have for you for today, a little gift, a little present. All of you uh, probably know about the Christmas presents that we got under our uh, digital streaming tree on Christmas Day. And in case Christmas you didn't Day. see the title of this episode. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, uh, there we will have thoughts about the two big Christmas streaming releases, movie-wise, which were Disney Pixar Soul and uh, Warner Brothers' uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, we will get into it. Trust me. We will get into both of those films. There's a lot to talk about in both of those situations. And we wanted to do so before everybody hears your, our movie wrap up uh, podcast for the year. Um, but let's get over, get the rest of the show over with before we do so. So that's the plan. We're going to go through the news and movies, but then we'll go skip the thoughts, do the rest of the show and we'll circle back. Uh, to the thoughts about soul and wonder woman so sound good y'all good i'm good good. mike's good yep the mic is good here (laughs) it's on it's working my microphone is also good um all mics here present and accounted for um so we're good to begin we always start the podcast with movies and we are skipping the box office you can probably assume that the new release wonder woman 1984 was your number one film. Even with the streaming um, co-release on HBO Max, it made $16.7 million. Not terrible considering some of the numbers we've seen over the course of this pandemic. That being said, still very clearly pandemic box office numbers. It's the highest box office since March. Yeah. But we kind of knew that that would be the case. People are like somehow not getting the memo and becoming more comfortable about going to movie theaters now they're with their families over the christmas weekend it would make sense that some people would think it would be a good idea to go to see a movie after months of not having done so well yeah i don't want to be inside a house with all my family i want to be inside a movie theater with a bunch of strangers yeah but what if i told you that if you just subscribed to hbo max you could have the movie in your home with your family and if I what if I told you that um, 
I had been telegraphing this gift <laughs> to my family who had been listening to the podcast that, hey, if you didn't get Disney Plus last year, mm-hmm. probably getting HBO Max this year. Maybe. And well, sure enough. Like I said, we'll, we'll get to our thoughts about Wonder Woman a little later. Um, there are things to say about that movie, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> let's not telegraph anything yet. Um, and yeah, uh, let's move right on into movie news. We have one story per subject this week, like I said, because it was hard to find anything. Um, so our smooth students, bleh, our news story for mo- movies this week is about Anya Taylor Joy. If that name who? sounds familiar, yes, you're probably asking either who or you're going, oh, because. You've either uh, paid attention to um, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix and other shows and movies in the last year because uh, the 24-year-old has been named AP Breakthrough Entertainer of 2020. So yeah, like I said, she was in The Queen's Gambit recently. She was in New Mutants. She was in the movie Emma, period. Um, And yeah, Yeah. more projects are on the way. What were you going to say? Emma, period. Emma, period. That's That's the name of the movie. That's what he's titled. Stylized. Um, yeah, she has more movies on the way, uh, featuring Nicole Kidman and Willem Dafoe. She's going to be working with directors Edgar Wright and George Miller. She won a Gotham Independent Film Award for Breakthrough Actor back in 2015, too, for The Witch. Uh, I believe that was The Vavitch, if we're going with stylized movie titles. Yes, The Vavitch. <laughs> the Vavitch. Uh, that landed her the roles we have seen in uh, her in this year. Yep. Other entertainers named um, in the AP Breakthrough Entertainer of the 2020 Awards included Phineas Eilish, that would be uh, Billy's brother, who is her producer, Sarah Cooper, and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. You got that right. Yes. So there you go. Um, This is an annual thing, from what I understand, the AP... Yes, the Associated Press Entertainers of the Year in various entertainment fields. Anya Taylor-Joy was their breakout actor because they do not separate actor and actresses, just like the SAG Awards. Right. So there you go. That's it for that story. So we can now move on past thoughts. Basically, it's just look out for more Anya Taylor-Joy as more directors will be working with her. Yes, it's the true. The new up-and-comer. Next up, let's skip also right 24, into... 24, and I'm kind of sad about that now. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Let's skip that uh, all the way into television, and we always start television with, you love it, you love to hate it, you hate to love it, the sports corner. Yes, and uh, for those of you playing fantasy football, this past weekend was your championships and if you had Alvin Kamara on your team, you basically won on Christmas Day as he rushed for six touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wasn't the only superstar in football this week. We have Frank Gore rushing over 16,000 career yards. That puts him number three on the all-time list. So there you go. A performer in the sport of football. Uh, I think he's been running for 15 years now, since 2005. That's a long time. Uh, he may or may not be done yet. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. All right. <coughs> Pardon. Next, uh, speaking of the NFL, 
there was a sigh of relief for Bills fans as they have finally had some success. They took their first AFC East title since 1995. They beat the Patriots quite soundly on Monday Night Football. Um, this, of course, means that Bill Belichick now has a perfect gif of him answering the phone call and then throwing the phone. <laughs> that around on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Cam Newton, basically betting on Cam Newton and all those incentives did not work out for the Patriots. Um, Turns out no. AF Bills win the AFC East uh, with Josh Stallion and Stefan Diggs, who currently is the number one receiving yards and number one receptions for receiver. Well, there you go. That'll put you up there at the top. And that'll do it. I think that of all the possible things, that looks pretty good. But professional football wasn't the only football happening. It was, of course, the holidays, which means college football was in full force. The NCAA playoffs continue and take place on Friday of this week. That's because Friday is New Year's Day. Currently, yes. the bowl games are going on, including including the very delicious Cheez-It Bowl. Yes, you told me about the Cheez-Its Bowl today, and I was like, that sounds great. I would love a Cheez-Its Bowl right in front of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Cheez-It Bowl, best enjoyed with the Cheez-It Bowl, turns out. Yep, best enjoyed while watching the Cheez-It Bowl. That's, that was about basically what I was saying. Um, anything else uh, in other- sports? Other bowls include the Duke Mayo Bowl, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, and the oh, no. AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Oh, I like the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. That's good. <laughs> I'd be free to choose what my tires look like. Um, sports, anything White else balls. in sports before we move on? Uh, bas- we said basketball had started last week. Yep. And see, basketball happened. James Harden does not want to play by the uh, COVID regulation rules. Well, what you going to do? You could find them, but so far, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, no punishment has been handed down yet. Because there's lots of things you could do. Also, um, uh, and lastly, the MLB has released, the, or Vegas has released its odds for the MLB uh, World Series predictions for next okay. year. Number one, the Dodgers. Number yep. two, the Yankees. Uh-huh. Number three, the Padres, as they had acquired you, right. Darvish. Not yeah. me, Darvish. You, Darvish. You, Darvish. Which is, uh, yeah, kind of a follow-up to the okay season they had last season. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. And they've been picking up some team, some good players that vaulted them up there to the number three slot. Yeah. We could, could be, be looking, good. <laughs> we'll could see. be looking at a pretty decent Padres team next, next season, which is exciting for San Diego. Right, and sad for the Padres or for for the Dodgers because they play them. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> Anything else in sports before we move on to television news? Nope. Looking forward to the Olympics next year. <laughs> That's a big if. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that means we can move on to um, television news. Here we have one story here. Um, about a uh, a media boat favorite um, talking about basically spitting some game about his job and the changes that have happened since COVID. 
I'm talking about Michael Schur, uh, who is, the, of course, the creator of Good, The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, among other shows. He's expressed trepidation in the new Hollywood setup in a post-COVID world. He said, quote, it's hard to imagine being in a writer's room. It's hard to imagine being on a set. How do you shoot a scene with 200 extras ever? How do you go on vacation in someone's house who is in their right mind and will let us into their house to shoot a scene? It seems so crazy to imagine going back to the old ways that we did this, end quote. Of course, producing TV shows during the pandemic has been adding hundreds of thousands of dollars to the cost of every episode, as you mentioned last week. Quote, the shows we make are expensive. They are not little D, 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 uh, DIY, you had DYI and it screwed me up, uh, shows. <laughs> they cost millions of dollars an episode. It's hard to imagine how they pay for them on the other side of this. Are they going to cut every staff in half? Are they going to cut the, every cast in half? Are they going to say, sorry, this is the cap on what anyone can get paid? Are they going to try to make camera crews not have assistance? Are they going to try to say, sorry, instead of two gaffers, you get one gaffer? These are all valid questions. And it makes sense that Michael Schur would be asking them. He's has tons of experience with shooting these shows. Yeah, not only is he a show creator, but he's a show runner on these, uh, on these yeah. very successful shows. So he knows ins and outs of Hollywood. And yeah, a lot of like the excess credits that you see running, mm-hmm. maybe cut in half. Also, with everything going to streaming, you might see some streamlined budgets. I think that until um, entire staffs are vaccinated, we are going to see very different productions. They're going to have to relearn all these things and you're going to see different looking shows because of it. Yeah, he's right. You're going to see less crowd scenes. You're going to see fewer reasons for the, the uh, characters in your show to be interacting with lots of people. You're going to have a lot of show, a lot of bottle episodes, I imagine, where it's one location, one set, very easy to shoot. Stuff like that. Law and Order SVU. They just shoot in a courtroom. <laughs> yes. Or a one-on-one scene with one person in a very small portion of outside. Like, like Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine with an interrogation scene. Exactly. And so, yeah, there's ways to do it. And I'm sure that part of this is him just venting and kind of just trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step of this? Because he does have fans that are relying on him uh, to deliver these next seasons of these favorite shows. Right. But this also starts with the creatives and Mm -hmm. starting with the script of this is what we want to shoot. This is where we want to take the show. Yeah. Will you please let us do it this way because we need money to fund said show. Yeah. So one thing I will say about this is I don't think this is an all, all a bad thing. I want to, get a part that I don't necessarily share as trepidation. And the reason why I don't is because it's the time honored like thing that you say about creatives is when you're given limits. Yes. In theory, it sucks, but limits make you more creative. I think that when you have constrictions, when you're like, when you're told you have to basically create within this box, you get creative and you think outside of that box and you try to think of solutions to these problems And I think it results in better things. That's why one of the reasons why I personally think stuff that's created for families can be potentially more interesting than stuff that's for adults because they have to work within the restrictions of what will a kid get out of this and what will a parent get out of this. I think the same that can be said with these restrictions. You're going to have to create 
new experiences that audiences have never seen for these characters because you can't rely on the crutches that you used to. And I think this could potentially make for some really interesting TV. Yes, and while that might be creative to think within the limits of the box, you're also not creating jobs, yeah. as many jobs, and a lot of gig workers will fall by the wayside because of it. Yes, yes. No, when you talk about the production actual aspect of it, yes, that is the problem for sure. Creatively, there's opportunities here, but yes, you're right, is that the actual loss of jobs here is a concern. Um, hopefully we'll see more um, uh, government assistance as we go into the 2021. Until oh, did you not check Twitter today? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. On the production, like on the like Hollywood part of this. Yes, person by person, yes, we're not getting that assistance. But yes. We all know you mean Georgia. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, where we'll see. Hollywood we'll see. shoots yeah. a lot of its films we'll see in Georgia. What happens there? Uh, in the coming months Georgia. Yes, I understand. Um, So yeah, there's, this is, I feel like we're too early to really tell a lot of this stuff or how long a lot of this stuff will be the case, how long it will be the case. Because we don't know. We're still like, we're waiting to see how, how much volume um, that the vaccinations are going to be and like how many people are going to be vaccinated and how long that will take. So a lot of unanswered questions, but like I said, I don't blame someone in a creative role of such prominence for bringing up these questions. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Well, like most people, they're just waiting to get back to a stadium to watch their favorite team or concert and yeah. not really worrying about the logistics of, oh, they need to have people in there to run all that as well. Yeah. Yep. It's all in flux. Yep. Okay. Speaking of in flux, let's keep this flux going. Because we are done with television news and we're going to move into cancellations and renewals. Also quick this one show. Because there's just been one announcement. Netflix, thankfully, is bringing back Agretzko for a fourth season. I am excited to see what they do next with that show. Uh, Not the finale, so there's still hope. Still still coming. More coming. coming. I bet that that's an easy show to make a lot of in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. it's not a very complicated animated show it's very much like kind of like bojack was where it's like oh this is clearly an all digital very simple program that they use but i'm not complaining next up let's talk about music so i flip this over to you all right and when we start music with the billboard and we start the billboard with the hot 100 and you know it's christmas time when the top five are all Christmas songs. Yep, dominated this week. Which means Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You, number one song. Rockin' yep. Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee, number two. Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms, three. A Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives, at four. And rounding out your top five, it's the most wonderful time of the year well it was with because Andy as of this recording carry they're all right here <laughs> but yeah so christmas songs nothing but christmas songs turns out that streaming um getting so much in like having so much impact on the charts means that this is always going to be the case from here on out 
but as for your Billboard 200, your albums chart, not quite the same as no. Evermore is your number one album by Taylor Swift. Still. At number two, McCartney 3 by Paul McCartney. Uh, fun fact, uh, Taylor apparently has contact uh, with Paul McCartney as apparently some uh, news came out that she let him know she was the only person who, or he was the only person she actually told ahead of time about Evermore's surprise release. So that way he would push McCartney 3 back a week. Ooh. However, still didn't get in the number one spot. (laughs) (laughs) So she tried, she did her best, still didn't get in that number one record, but I'm sure he appreciates the, the sales. Yep. At number three, Music to be Murdered by, by Eminem. I believe that yes. might be the second one. That got a bump. So I think what he did was he released it as a side B as instead of a separate album like mm-hmm. Taylor did. So this would happen. I think he wanted a boost of that record too. And so this gets both of those. So I believe this ah. does include the side B stuff. Okay. He's just rolled it all into one instead of what Taylor did. Right, which was have two albums on the number one last week. Right, no, because if you go on the streaming services, this is just one record. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that leaves Christmas for number four and five with Christmas by Michael <laughs> Buble yeah. and Merry Christmas by Mariah Carey. Yep, and we'll say goodbye to all those Christmas uh, songs and albums because they will not be returning next week. <laughs> uh, they might because end of the holidays, but maybe eh, we'll see. Old Lang Syne, number one this next week. <laughs> No. Um, New Year's Day by Taylor Swift. Never everyone, no. Um, yeah, so, you know, this happens every year, but yeah, this this is over now. The season's done. All right, let's get to some music news real quick. Yeah. And we start, or we start, we end. It is the <laughs> one and only music story. Yeah, go for it. Tell me about this one news story that we got. Oh, it's a legacy. A Tron Legacy. Yeah, we're talking about Tron Legacy. That's how slow of a week this is. It's so slow that this 10-year-old movie is uh, making news in the music section because (laughs) Daft Punk, yes, that Daft Punk, Punk. has a new re-release on Spotify and Apple Music that includes the full original score and nine additional tracks. This new version of the soundtrack, which is being called the complete edition was released to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the movie's release. The complete edition includes nine additional tracks that weren't part of the original soundtrack's release, but they aren't actually new or unreleased music. Most of the tracks have been available in other forms, like vinyl release exclusives or iTunes exclusives. This is the first time they've been collected in the same place. And I hope it means more people listen to it and we get Tron 3 again. Yeah, maybe. maybe, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Um, Disney has kind of been on and off again about teasing a new Tron film. I think if they're going to do it, this is probably the time. Right, but also Tron has always been the tech demo for other um, VFX. Right, so if they have a gimmick, if they have a hook for it, maybe they'll do it. I mean, let's see, 10 years ago, we were looking at de-aging technology, de-resing, mm-hmm. and here we are 10 years later, it being used 
pretty much all over the place. Marvel well, capitalized on it. Yeah, yeah. Disney especially is used in the Marvel films and the Star Wars films. And so, yeah, it wouldn't be surprised. Like, they've become really good at it, definitely better than they were in Tron Legacy. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's no, like, clear evidence of them having a hook for this quite yet. Um, 3D is kind of passe at this point. Um, so it's like, what do they do? Do they wait for that, like the laser projected stuff to cement itself? Like, I don't know what you do. Don't know, but we get more uh, Daft Punk out of it. Yeah. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that there they, these additional tracks did exist already for the super fans, but it's nice to have it. And yeah, it's a nice like PR thing just for Disney to test the water, see what interest is in the Tron um, stuff right now. Right, and it's on both the of the biggest streaming apps available. So yeah, better for good. fans. There for fans of hmm. Tron, and that brings us into video games. Where yeah, because, the only uh, the only new release is the ones you got under your tree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no new releases <laughs> in albums or um, or um, uh, games this week. Just to let you all know, yeah, they'll be back. Not next week because that's the first. Next, but the next following week. week. Yeah. Following week, I believe, is when we'll finally see start coming out again. Yep. But also, as it's the end of the year, brings us to our new stories. Yeah. We have top of the charts and best selling stuff. Yeah. As Valve has released Steam's best of 2020 list, uh, outlining which were 2020's biggest and most profitable games on its PC storefront. It doesn't look as though the page ranks in order, the games in order, but according to the latest stats, Among Us, Destiny 2, and PUBG were amongst the games with the highest peak concurrent users, which they racked all, which they all racked up over 200,000 peak players it makes sense these are all games that are continuous games continuous experiences among us is the interesting one here because yeah that kind of went to the stratosphere over the course of this year alone right a a game in 2018 won best (laughs) mobile game and party game in 2020 yeah and i'm sure it's not slowing down anytime soon seems like they're constantly doing updates there's like a new area there's a new map to to play on there's a new map announced during the game awards yep yep um keep it fresh other games uh like rainbow six siege gta 5 and monster hunter world were the year's highest grossing games on steam that makes sense because those are all games where you pay for a lot of extra features. GTA Five makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how Rockstar prints its money. Yeah, as the online stuff and the shark cards and mm-hmm. buying all sorts of shit. Rainbow Six Siege, you have to buy all the cart characters. Um, and the Monster Hunter World had the expansion on PC this year, which I'm sure led to a lot of that. I think it was two expansions. Right, right. They had the what the Frost one and the beginning of february and then they had one mm-hmm. more recently in october right so yeah if if every owner of that game uh bought at least one of those that's mm-hmm. a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> basically a whole nother game yeah uh in terms of the biggest new releases of 2020 the platform lists crusader kings 3 mm-hmm. flight simulator and mount and blade 2 colon Bannerlord as the year's biggest debuts. 
the highly anticipated Cyberpunk 2077, appeared almost on almost all the shortlists, intimating it's one of Steam's biggest new releases, most played, and of the year's top sellers, too. Cyberpunk 2077 is also the most played game on Steam, overtaking the likes of Dota 2 and Counter-Strike colon Go with over 1 million concurrent players, even though it's purely a single-player game. Yeah, this kind of shocked me. Uh, this was oh. the only the big su- the only big surprise I had here, which just this is just further proof that even though it has bad word of mouth now, it sold like even crazy. Though people have been trying yeah. to return it on consoles over on the PC side for Steam. A million players are just playing it because it sold so well on just hype alone and on marketing. And on positive pre-release word of mouth. And you know who would love a piece of those players? <laughs> Marvel's Avengers. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> no one's talking about that game anymore. Nope. Um, so yeah, I mean, say what you will about Cyberpunk, but it sold really well, which is going to make it a really interesting uh, post-release for them. If they can turn this ship around and make this into an experience people will actually enjoy... There's going to be a lot of people that are happy about it because a lot of people and signed up for this. Thing. CD Projekt Red probably will because that's what happened with The Witcher Three. Yeah, that's the hope. That's the hope. But after all the stuff we talked about last week, it's looking really dire for uh, for CD Projekt Red right now. All right. And before we get to um, the thoughts, I mean that's it with video games. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, the only new releases were any Christmas gifts. Yeah. Did you get anything? I received zero video games for what? Christmas. It's true. Oh. Um, nobody, nobody thought about that. Um, that's fine. I don't really mind. Um, I did get a board game based on a video game. I am confused. <laughs> Is it yeah, Pokemon? I was too. <laughs> I'm probably not going to play it. I uh, I gifted it to some people who might. Okay. Is the way I'll leave that. Uh, but yeah, no video games. Um, judging by the way that you put that, though, I understand there were some video games under your tree. Uh, yes, the upcoming and soon to be very rare Mario 3D All Stars. Oh yeah, was gifted to me. Okay, as well as Ring Ring Fit Adventure. Oh fun! Was gifted to my wife <laughs> from me. It's good. <laughs> so we you have guys are going to have fun with that one. That's the idea. Yeah. Also competitive, so I don't know mm-hmm. how much fun we'll get out of it. <laughs> hey, yeah, just just it's good for comparing like levels and stuff like that. It's perfect for that. But those are the two games that we got. Great. Um, That'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be fun. Also, those are I mean, only one of them came out this year. Yeah, yeah, and technically it's old games inside of it. <laughs> right. Technically it's three old <laughs> games inside of it, but I've never played them. Yeah. So it's you, all new to you. So. If you haven't played it, it's new to you. Thank you, NBC. <laughs> Must see TV. Exactly. Must play Switch games. All right. Speaking of things we must play, <laughs> we hit play on a couple of movies. Did we? Yes. All right. Um, all right. Now I can uh, sit back. Yeah. Relax. Let's really get into and this. Then just uh, unleash. Okay. What do you? Okay. So you know how people ask. 
whether you want the good news or the bad news first, and everybody says the bad news first, I'm going to propose the same question to you. Do you want to hear about the good movie or the bad movie first? All right, let's talk about the bad movie first. Let's talk about the bad movie first. All right, so Soul Begins... Ah, you're funny, but I didn't buy it for a second. No, we're talking about the other one. So, like I said at the top of the show, two Christmas gifts in the form of streaming films came out this uh, Christmas. Uh, Disney Pixar Soul on Disney Plus and Warner Brothers Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max. So, what's uh, what was your chronolo- chronological, what was your order of operations here? Because this is what I did. I watched Soul uh, with friend of the show, Christy, on Christmas Day. Okay. That was priority one. We wanted to make sure we watched Soul. And I decided instead to watch um, Wonder Woman at home by myself because I didn't know whether that would be her game. Once I saw it, it was two and a half hours long. I basically was like, she is not going to want to watch something that long with me. Also, probably be better for me to watch this on my TV at home because I it was the first content on HBO Max to be 4K HDR. So I was like, cool, I can take advantage of this. So that was my order of operations. Then after I watched Wonder Woman on the weekend, over the weekend, I then on Monday night decided to spin Soul up a second time and watch that on my TV at home. I'll get into it later, but let me just say that that was one of the best decisions I've made in a long time. <laughs> but yes, you're right. We should talk about, well, actually, yeah, what was, what was your approach to this? All right. So both of these came out on Christmas Day. Hmm. I did not watch them on Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, because I had family stuff going on and basketball right. was going on. Yeah. Um, then the next day came and I had other family stuff <laughs> going on where I gifted <laughs> HBO Max to myself and my siblings mm-hmm. because I foretold that in the episodes. Yeah. Um, then Sunday came and it was nonstop football championship weekend. From 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. So after that, you just don't want to watch a TV anymore. Yeah. So that came to yesterday, Monday. <laughs> so you last minuted this. Oh, did I last minute this? Uh, I yeah. So I basically watched Wonder Woman 1984 first, mm-hmm. and then Soul second. Okay. And that brings us to here. All right. And boy, was that whiplash. I bet. Watching those back to back. Yeah. So it's very strange and completely coincidental that both of these movies try to address some very big picture concepts. Both of them do. And it's amazing to the extent that one nails it and the other one completely whiffs it. That was one of my most surprise, like my biggest surprise of watching both these movies this weekend was that how similar some of the topics are that they try to address and how they just completely have two radically different ways of trying to tackle it. And one movie is a whole hour, almost a whole hour longer than the other one. Yeah, my big takeaway was that, wow, both of these scripts clearly had a lot of issues going into it you can see them as the movie each movie progresses yes one movie decided to fix said issues and the other one didn't okay so let's just get right into it so wonder woman the first one 
was a movie I enjoyed. I saw it in a movie theater. I thought that the action was really cool. There was a lot of cool set pieces. Um, I thought that the characters were interesting. I thought the banter, especially between uh, Wonder Woman and the Chris Pine character was fun and enjoyable and cute. And you actually felt something when um, they are separated at the end of that film. Spoiler, we're gonna spoil uh, the first Wonder Woman here. Just let you know, um, because you need to, to go into this. Um, that's also available on HBO Max as well. So if you want to do both of them, you can. Right, uh, but, but you don't have to see between Wonder Woman 2 and Wonder Woman 1983. <laughs> yes, and Wonder Woman 1984. There are 1,900-something Wonder <laughs> Womans to watch, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter that they think that the reason why they didn't call it Wonder Woman 2 is because it would abbreviate to WW2. Right. I'm like, that's fair. Uh, anyway. Um, you know, so, the yeah. first Wonder Woman was about World War One. Yeah. But this is not. As the name implies, it is uh, a period piece stuck in the 80s, uh, for better or for worse. I'll get into that in a moment. Um, and the, yeah, so going into this film, I was 100% ready to love this. I was ready to enjoy it. I like the characters. I like the world. It's the only of the DC uh, universe films that I actually think is worth watching. Um, I've just heard such crap about every, literally everything else, maybe except for some people who like Shazam, um, that I just haven't seek like I haven't done any of the like uh, legwork to actually go and search those out. So yeah, I was expecting Good to like you this. You don't have to because... do any legwork to search those out. They're available on HBO Max. Well, yes, you know what I mean. HBO Max, you can now pay me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, needless to say, I was ready to like this, and gotta say first 20 minutes of this film promising i was like okay i'm on board you you get some of the stuff um at the in the very beginning um kind of the, the like backstory behind her character and that was kind of cool i like that that and the ending of the film were filmed in a um in an imax style ratio so i got an ideal 4k experience uh, watching those portions um, and yeah, that, that stuff was fun. And then the first couple of scenes with the Wonder Woman character reminds you of how great the first one was. It's like, oh, cool. You get to see her kick some butt. You get to see it. And then this new 1980 setting seemed novel and interesting. And that's the last moment I thought anything that was happening on my screen was novel or interesting. <laughs> see, uh, mine was about the one hour mark. Um, right when the spoiler <laughs> MacGuffin started becoming true. <laughs> yes. That's when I was like, oh, now we're actually going to shoehorn it this way, but <laughs> you mentally have to think, okay, that's not actually what's happening, but that's just how we're going to portray it. So yeah, what you're referring to here, just to explain uh, it to, to people who aren't as sensitive to spoilers just to let you know we're gonna have light spoilers here for plot stuff just to explain what we don't like here um but yeah the the MacGuffin as you mentioned is a wish stone it grants your wishes and it's very immediate that the film lets you know that they're real the film does not mess around because in order for the plot to work the audience has to know that this is not just in their heads this is a very real effect that the stone can grant wishes and the whoosh and their hair moving back whenever this happens is the mm -hmm. tell. And I'm glad that they do that because otherwise it would be super muddy and you'd have 
even worse fan theories than there already are. So I'm glad that they made it as clear as it is. But that's problem number one, right? Is you can't have a thing in a film like this that makes everything possible because as soon as you make everything possible, you have, you're writing yourself into a corner, which is a problem that with the end of the movie, but we'll get there. Um, but the problem that I thought, there was something that happens in this movie that I thought immediately of you when it happened, because it is a red flag for you when this happens in a script. You never put, especially in a superhero film where the fun of the film is to watch the superhero be super, you never put something in there that takes away their powers. Mm-hmm. And immediately it's... when the dialogue started happening where she's like, oh, shoot, that's how this is backfiring. I knew it was like, oh, Mike's going to be like, yes. <laughs> you don't do that. Well, you know, it's the Superman problem. It's you got to nerf your hero somehow. The scene where the big, uh, like, superhero scene where she's doing the uh uh, fighting the dudes in the trucks yes i literally checked the runtime because i was like wait are we an hour and 20 minutes into this film and we're finally getting a fight scene again yes what are you doing well that's why i was wondering (laughs) like wait what happened between the kid like being young diana and now Uh uh-huh dialogue all dialogue an hour (sighs) of dialogue so much exposition so much exposition for something that really doesn't pay off as in the way you want it to so and and get it it's a lot of characters like it's a lot of like flavor stuff you have to establish that the chris pine character comes back sort of uh which is another whole can of worms that Mm -hmm. okay so let's let's just get into it now do you know why it was imperative that the stone brought him back as a different dude and why he couldn't just be chris pine why is that necessary like i get that all these wishes have a backfire but a monkey's paw but i thought the monkey's paw was her losing her powers right that's what i thought too so why does he need to be a different dude because he (laughs) needs to like physically exist why can't he physically being physically existing there's no reason the movie never says gives you a rule that says the wish stone can't just make something appear out of nothing isn't that literally what happens with the wall i would say that's literally what happens with the wall examples in this film later in this film other wishes where things are materialized from nothing so why Mm -hmm. can't this materialize chris pine as chris pine would it be that he wouldn't be the same age because that seems also arbitrary right because you be like, oh, like I. Well, she never. First of all, she never outright says what her wish is. It was, I know what my wish was. She be. thinks it. She Whoosh. thinks. It. Yeah. Whereas everyone else, and kind of a stipulation <laughs> later in the film. Yeah. They need to That's physically insane. say it. But I guess she doesn't need to because otherwise the audience would have seen it coming. Even though we saw it coming, you don't have to have the trailer say, say that it's that's coming. her wish. Because you know enough about the character from the first movie and the dialogue at the beginning that this is the only thing she cares about. Mm-hmm. is the only wish she would ever have. She has no other wishes because her life is fine otherwise. She literally, it's like, the fact that she's so hammers at the beginning of the first act of this film that she has no interest in, like, anything in her life. <laughs> like, that's the only possible thing. Also, I mean, I know it's a superhero film, but your life is so 
perfect that the only thing missing is the dead guy. Right. It's like it's it it's it does a bad job with the stakes, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the things about stakes in a superhero film is that the superhero has to be challenged by what they're doing. In this film, Wonder Woman is shown as this person who has no like earthly needs or possessions. She even mentions at one point she doesn't even have a TV at home. She does not watch television. What does Wonder Woman do? What does she do? <laughs> she bees what she be Wonder Woman. Yeah, but you can only be Wonder Woman so much, right? Like, I don't know. It's just it creates this. She breaks into malls and stops jewelry heists. <laughs> to me, though, like it just removes the humanity from her completely. The only mm-hmm. like it, the the film just turns her into this pining lover for the rest of the runtime, and that's a boring character. It's a boring character, a invincible character who just loves her boyfriend is boring. She's not a person at that point. Okay, um, hold a question to you then. Okay. What was the Chris Pine's purpose in this film other than to be physical love interest? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like he's brought back to, he's brought back as the stakes because without him, there are no stakes for Wonder Woman. She's mm-hmm. proven to be so powerful that she can take all of this on. So, I mean, this is a film that literally expands her powers from the first movie. She gains things that she couldn't do before. Oh, though that was the thing that that irked me. <laughs> we'll get so there. hard. We'll get there. The next, so real quick before we uh, tie a bow on the Chris Pine stuff, I just wanted to mention. So there's been a lot of talk about this. We have to bring it up on the internet, uh, and I want to get your take on this. The scene where they're in bed, they've clearly been intimate with each other. If this is another man's body and that man was not necessarily uh, aware that this was happening is that sexual assault kind of kind of yeah yes yes it's a little iffy a little iffy i did though i just want to note so yes people complaining about this yeah it's kind of messed up but what i will say is that it's a very common trope in body swap movies. You see this a lot and it sucks. Um, in fact, friend of the show, Christy, I was talking to this because talking to her about this because she's not going to see it so I could spoil pretty much the whole movie to her. Right. And she was talking about how, oh yeah, I know it happens all the time in Supernatural. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess if you're in a universe that is where these body swaps happen all the time, I get that you, maybe the writers would not realize what they're doing. They like the, it was just a weird choice to me. It was like you didn't you didn't have to do this, which also brings back to the core point. He doesn't he didn't have to be a different dude. Right. I mean, if you're gonna go that route, then yes, it's, it would technically work better as a story overall if mm. at the end when she has to um kill the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. that he kind of vanishes. But then yeah. it gets into the, wait, was he even there at all? Was this all in yeah. her head? And I think that's why he needed to exist as a physical being already. Because otherwise you have that whole Joker aspect where it's a figment mm-hmm. of the imagination. Is this actually happening? And then you can have a, uh, you can then go back and watch the movie and have a fight club analysis where <laughs> 
does Chris Pine actually interact with anything or is she just like hallucinating this whole thing? I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure that there are scenes where he does interact with other people. Oh, he flies the plane. Right, he flies a freaking plane. Uh, that cannot be in her mind. Right. Because <laughs> they, they, there's people shooting at them in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And he's driving the car in the desert, so yes. So yeah. So that was a big problem that I had with it. The next thing I want to talk about Talk about Chris Pine. Now we have to talk about Kristen Wiig. <laughs> I liked her in the beginning. Yeah, that's she was the so thing. interesting. That's the thing is because the character she's playing at the beginning of this movie is basically just Kristen Wiig. They, yes. they just cast Kristen Wiig to play Kristen Wiig for the first uh, act of this film, and it yeah, for you're right for the most part it works. She's a likable character. She's a good foil to Diana because they're so different. She, it's an interesting dynamic that they set up. Also, I think it's actually kind of novel to have a character in a film about a female superhero who is given super vibes that she is basically in love with the superhero. Mm-hmm. Like they have a date straight up uh, that is not really sugarcoated in a way. Like, yes, you could say, oh, she's just doing it as a favor. But I think there's an element to this where it's very clear that Kristen Wiig's character is into her and wants to have a meal with her for reasons beyond just to get to know somebody or beyond just the fact that, oh, nobody talks to me, I'm lonely. I think there's an element beyond that. And the reason why I say that is the script more or less supports it when in her wish scene, she doesn't just say she wants to be likable. She She also says she wants to be Diana. Basically, mm-hmm. she was like, I want to be exactly like her, which right, has plot ramifications later. Her powers. Right, exactly. Like I said, plot ramifications for, because of that. And so I think that that's an interesting take that I hadn't seen before and potentially was interesting. Then they throw the whole thing out the door for the rest of this movie. And she slowly devolves, she slowly sheds off every aspect of her personality. And I get it. It makes sense when she's going through the transformation to become a villain. I get it. You have to remove In terms her being... of a character structure, you yeah. put them as far as way and polar opposites from the beginning and end of the film. Right. It makes sense. So, yes. It makes sense from a storytelling perspective and from a comic book perspective. The difference is, like the problem that I had with it is that it didn't make me care about that character anymore. If there was no redeeming quality. No, if there's no redeeming qualities to this person, then I don't care if they survive on the other side of this. And then you have no stakes for that character. And then you don't care about the fight scene. And that's the problem with the CGI one of fight. many problems with the fight scene is that you don't give a crap. Mm-hmm. Also, it does the thing, the cheat, where it's shot in really dark so you can't see the effects. Right. And also, she looks like a reject from 2019 Cats. Let's be real. Well, that's what we were saying before, the bundle edition. (laughs) So, yeah, I was just really disappointed with that whole arc. And the fact that she's not even the most, like, they have another villain that's way more interesting than, than her. And so she seems useless. She seems like a pointless character. She's, yeah, I'm trying to if you take her out of the film 
You don't get your main villain still achieves his goal. Yeah, but the only thing you miss, the only thing you lose, you lose the stuff where she's actually helping them do the research. You needed her character, you needed a character to be at the home base while they're doing Wonder Woman stuff to give them the call that says, hey, I found out the origin of this thing. They needed her to do that, except that's the thing. You don't have to have her have the villain arc to make that work. Show don't tell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then again, she's a popular character in the comics. I get why they would want to have that character in a film. I get it. Right. But then at the end, you need to have some type of redeeming quality, <laughs> right. not I've gone full animal. I'm going to try and rip your head off. And there's no one, saving me. One very brief scene at the end that even says that she survived for possibly to be in another film. There is? Yes. I remember seeing it and I was like oh okay so they're not okay all right so she's still around got it yes no, I don't think there so, is that would seem kind of like a final also you would think not but... just that but can we talk about how it how that finale does not affect Diana because superpowers <laughs> even if they're supposed to have the same powers there is, so yeah, a lot of people ask the same question to the point where Patty Jenkins had to answer it on Twitter. There is a tweet from Patty Jenkins' Twitter account where oh, she says, tweet. it's a tweet. She says, Diana is not affected by lightning because she is Zeus's daughter. <laughs> Period. So I kind of wish they would establish that more. So she says that apparently in the in a tweet in the like a follow up tweet I think she says that that is something that's established in the first movie but I don't think anybody remembers that. No, because I mean I think it's probably it's why she's Princess Diana. Right. But at the same time, she lives on an island with all women. <laughs> it's not something you're going to. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. The yeah. father is Zeus. Right. Just, no. So yeah, so there's that's why there's multiple references to that in this film um, like of her relationship with lightning there's that th that scene and the scene where she literally rides the lightning with her lasso in the sky remember that <laughs> yes um but that also okay so as we're going on that brings me to my biggest gripe in the film okay and that is the armor the golden oh, armor yeah so the, in the aforementioned fight scene she puts on the armor of her ancestor who's like known as like a legendary fighter yes and it literally doesn't help her at all not only does it help not help her at all she doesn't <laughs> earn it it's just sitting no. in her closet the whole time yeah she just has it she just has it <laughs> and that irked me so bad <laughs> yeah because there's have, no you didn't there's earn no... the armor no. It's not like, oh, it gives you a power-up. It's not like no. sudden in your time of need. No, it's just, no. I, I'm i going to put this armor on because I'm going to go fight the big bad. Pretty much, yeah. This and then I as I'm costume. fighting the big bad, it gets destroyed because it's not that good of an armor, apparently. <laughs> and that's not even the big bad fight because there's another climactic scene after that where she definitely didn't need any armor to resolve. Right. She did it through her uh, speech 101 skills. <laughs> 
Um, which brings us to the next point I wanted to bring up, and we can. This will be the last thing that I want to talk about about this film because otherwise we go out for another hour. Is well, the Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. Oh. Is the the actual uh, villain of this film? Uh, let's talk about Pedro Pascal. <laughs> He's having a moment right now, huh? He's a looter everywhere. Yeah, Mr. Mandalorian. Mr. Mandalorian. So. He's the only person acting in this movie. <laughs> and if you see bite marks everywhere, it's because he is chewing every piece of scenery. <laughs> he is pretty good in this movie, which sucks because the movie is not good. And so you have one pretty good performance that is just a waste because he is put in so many situations in this film where he has to act his brains out. Like, well, he becomes the MacGuffin. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. Essentially, like literally, apparently. And then his punishment is basically it kills him every single time he grants a wish. And so he's slowly but then dying. He creates his own loophole of right. taking other people's life. And right. The... <sighs> Which is fine. I actually think this is the one element of the film that works is his like art. Because that becomes works. a literal monkey's paw of mm-hmm. you want something, I take something. I just want to take his character and the Wonder Woman we had in the first Wonder Woman movie and put them in a different movie because with, with all, without all the rest of the baggage because I think the concept is fine and this character is fine. It's just that the way they do it and the, just how broad it gets and broad, broadly conceptual it gets, like just doesn't do that concept. Like I get it. They probably had story meetings where Patty was like, okay, we have this character who can basically gains the ability to grant any wish that he wants. How does we how do we bring that to its conclusion? The obvious answer that probably they settled on was, well, everybody he wants to make everybody's wish happen so that they can give him strength. But the problem is, is that's biting off way more than this movie has time to chew. You get to the two-hour mark. And you have 45 minutes of basically the world ending. (laughs) Not only that, but then if they said the same universe, you have 20 years later where no one remembers the incident. (laughs) No one's talking about it. It's not like taught anywhere. It's like, this is a bad idea. Just nope. Not nothing. Not even mentioned. I mean, for reasons that we'll talk about when we talk about the next movie, Soul, um, it's just amazing how much that they could have actually had like a lesson that mattered they could have actually spent some time about thinking about like oh what would it mean that everybody was just suddenly got the thing that they wanted but there was some sort of terrible like consequence for it what would that technically mean for the average person what would that mean for somebody they in power kind of say that because the stone shows uh, MacGuffin shows up mm-hmm. in various utopias throughout history that suddenly disappeared mm-hmm. so it kind of, so it alludes to if you get everything you want then everything's going to be taken away because chaos yeah. yes but but too much of a that, good thing but that's the thing though is that that's such a paper thin version of what they could have gotten deeper into and so what ends up happening is it ends up just being a laundry list of Here's some subjects that we could that we brought up for three seconds that we don't have time to go into. Like literally the entire arc with the uh, with the um, the uh, like this oil magnate. Mm-hmm. Um, it suggested that there's some tension with him and the like the people that are around him. Is that brought up? 
like do we ever talk to any of the people that are under like in his uh kingdom like that are like affected by this no in fact we have an entire fight scene where she beats up a bunch of them so also in the, like the, kind of one of the final moments like going up to the final moments that when all the chaos is happening oh yeah nuclear bombs are starting to go off nuclear missiles there's war with russia like there's basically world war three has been declared and do we have time to talk about like the like the reasons why this is happening no we don't have time so let's plays right past it in the very same scene there is there is a depiction of police brutality that they do not have time to that they literally have to run past because they do not have time to comment on it they don't have time to comment about about race they don't have time to comment about any of this because they just have to move so quickly through that scene that they're just like all right the world's ending but we need to resolve this story first and if we resolve this stuff, then everything else doesn't matter because we resolved the pit, the main yeah. point, the, the center thread. So th- that's the thing is like, I realized that probably a lot of this was written in a pre-pandemic mindset, but in a year like we've had in 2020, to see a film that depicts the just decimation of society as we know it, and then does not have anything to say about that, just is wildly tone deaf and just felt super, super weird. In any other year, I would have been like, "Oh, it's it's a superhero movie." Somebody before this I was actually... supposed to come out in April, I think May. Right, that would have been different. Um, but something. The last thing I'll say about this uh, is, before I saw it, I saw somebody on Twitter compare, said that they, that the end of this film reminded me of X Men: The Last Stand. And at first I was like, that seems really harsh. That is not a good movie. But after watching it, I 100% get it. Because they're similar in which the stakes are so high, so up in the stratosphere for literally everybody in the film that no matter what, it's not going to be satisfying. You cannot do a satisfying conclusion when literally everything hangs in the balance. It's too big. You can't be satisfied. You will never be satisfied. Yeah, that was the <laughs> that was the moment <laughs> I texted you. That was the moment I texted you. This movie is too much because that's how I felt. It's like you cannot bite off this much. You cannot chew it. Take a smaller bite of that burrito, Patty, because this is way too much. You can't tackle all of this, even though your movie is too long. El Bundo burrito. Yeah, got a grande going on here. No, no, that's over grande. That's a mundo burrito. Everything, everything burrito going on in here. And you just, the movie does not have the patience or the care to bring up the sub, like to deal with the subjects it brings up. So by the end, you literally get up. It does. It has a two and a half hour runtime. And that's the irony of it, right? It spends the first hour. (laughs) They spend so much time doing stuff that's not interesting with characters that are not interesting that by the time they get to the potentially interesting stuff, they don't have time for it. And it ends up not being satisfying. You end up at the end feeling like, what did I just watch? What did any of that mean? What did anything that just happened in front of me uh, matter? Like, why does it matter? And then they have the gall, then after you're like left with that feeling to do that flash forward, that's literally just, what if Wonder Woman was in a Hallmark original movie? (laughs) It's inexplicable. 
So, needless to say, we we have problems with uh, Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> well, I talked about it too much. You, what what else do you want to air your grievances about? Oh, I aired my grievances uh, during Festivus. <laughs> These are grievances for next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you said a lot of the problems. I think just <sighs> the scripting. You have a lot of good ideas. But it also feels like a lot of first draft, second draft, where I need to put something here to go from A to B. Yeah. Because I really want to get to B without explaining why we have to go A to B to C. And I remember before people, I mean, the imagined listeners that I imagine are listening to this conversation. Oh, my sister is listening to this conversation. Okay. All right. Well, before they say, hey, wait a minute. This is reminding me of a lot of the problems you had with Rise of Skywalker. They are very similar films. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like the the reaction to the reaction on the internet, people who are like the like the equivalent to the Star Wars fanboys that were so angry about the reception about mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker are probably going to point out the same thing that they always do, which is, yeah, but it's a super, it's a popcorn superhero movie. Why do you care so much about the logic of it? It, because you were so willing to not care about the logic in The Last Jedi. And so I want to tackle that before we continue, because yes, there are some logical issues with The Last Jedi. It's not a perfect movie either, but it's balanced with a lot of other really interesting things that they do have time to tackle and they do take their time to address. That movie is interesting because they actually get into the psychology of why things are happening around them. They get into the characters' brains. They talk about like, oh, yes, even though the science-y aspect of what the spaceship does doesn't really add up, what these characters do in the moment and the decisions that they make do make sense, which is something that they then reverse in Rise of Skywalker. That is the problem here. The first Wonder Woman works because even though it's a popcorn-y superhero movie, the characters are presented and the plotting is presented in a way where you're like, yes, I do care about what happens to these people. I do. It does matter to me that these characters, you know, are have like are separated at the end. I like them. I want to stay in this world. This has the rise of Skywalker problem where as soon as you make these characters one dimensional, you don't care about them anymore. So if you don't care about the characters, then there goes the stakes. There goes any kind of investment that you have in the story or anything that happens to them a lot of that has to do with setup and payoff yeah and that's okay this is gonna be the last thing we're gonna talk about this because we have to move on I know we have to move on. <laughs> and my biggest gripe is setup and payoff there are several moments when wonder woman does stuff <laughs> that seemingly comes out of nowhere yes armor included yes and i'm like you could have set that up before you started with the flashback you can start there Mm -hmm. you can like okay the easiest one to explain away is the golden armor yeah have the golden armor at that ceremony and then have someone explain right we we do these games to honor asteria (laughs) or whatever her name is Mm -hmm. statue of the golden armor but it almost, but because it doesn't who, have who any portrays ties, X, yeah. Y, and Z characteristics, right? Selflessly, and because it doesn't have any ties, that scene seems like it's from a different Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have. You're right. They could have easily 
uh, sowed a lot of the seeds that they you can sow the seed of the invisibility thing that she does Mm -hmm. there in the beginning too where she like breaks a mug and then oh she magically makes it disappear so it's like oh i'm a good kid but i did something bad but it's a fun play like that i don't know if they meant it to be this way but the the one time I remember, the, the one laugh that I got, the one, the funniest thing in this movie is literally that tossed off line when she's explaining why she has invisibility powers, where she's like, yeah, I tried it on a coffee cup once. I can't find it anymore. I laughed because that's a funny joke. Yes. But when you think about like that, that literally is just that one sentence that explains why she can make an entire jet invisible. It's insane. You're right. Right. And that's why I said, like, <laughs> if you do it at the beginning, like, oh, She's like playing around like at a right. table or like with something like a spear or scepter, whatever, <laughs> a dagger. And it also, it disappears and you yeah. can't find it. Makes sense. It makes sense. Like, oh, she has this extra ability that she's clearly not trained in. It goes to the show don't tell thing that you said earlier. It's mm-hmm. the same thing is don't tell it. Don't have just a line explaining, oh, by the way, I found out that I have invisibility. No, show it. Maybe she finds it by accident in a random scene. Maybe she touches something and just disappears. And she's like, oh, that's new or something like that. There's so many ways you could show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And lastly, with I think what would be even better is um, with that armor scene where it is the flashback of Asteria in the armor getting beat up by the Spartans. Clearly they're Spartans. They have the red cloak. And beat up on it. Just have someone, just have to be a normal uh, Amazonian or whatever they're. A normal Amazonian. That's an oxymoron. Okay, and a normal uh, fighter. <laughs> and then she gets struck by lightning and then yeah. have it be the, the golden armor. Something and that's like that. how you open your movie. Yeah. And then that's why the story of the golden armor transitions into the games. Yep. And so that way, at the very end, when Diana realizes that, oh, I have to be true and honest and not deceitful, then she can earn the armor. Yeah. So, long story short. Too late. <laughs> I'm happy that we did not have to spend uh, the money to watch this in a theater. Nope, I just had to spend it to buy HBO Max. <laughs> Because I can imagine that the face, we would have made very similar faces to Rise of Skywalker, where we just looked at each other and just be like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> All right. But well, we have to move on. We're an hour yes. into this thing. We haven't talked about like the whole point we're having this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thankfully, Wonder Woman wasn't the only movie. So, Soul. I um, have one. You have one. The cat has one. Y'all got one. Um, well, it's debatable about whether that cat still has one. Forget <laughs> that. Um, Soul is. Um, uh, let's see. Let's let's see how I how I put this. So I think we have so- Inside Out. <laughs> we talked about the mind uh-huh. and how our emotions control our body. Yeah. But if you go deeper than that how do we get those emotions in our body Mm -hmm. and that is a soul yeah i'm glad that you brought up inside out because i think that soul works for me in the same way that inside out and coco do and to an extent monsters inc 
I think that Pixar does a really good job at when the concept is let's explore a world that is connected to ours, but is something that cannot be explained the abstract normal means. Yeah, it's an abstracted version of something that we all just take for granted, whether it be secret world toys or a secret world monsters who live under beds or in closets or the secret world inside somebody's uh, brain and like mental development or, you know, on and on and on or what happens after we die, etc. And so a soul is just an extension of that. And I think that, yeah, it's further proof that Pixar is on their A game when they have stories that connect the real world to the abstracted world. Um, and yeah, I'm going to straight up say, I think Soul is a top 10 Pixar movie. I'm still Ooh. debating on whether it's a top five. Ooh. And the reason why I say that is, yes, I think it's really good. I really enjoyed both times I watched this. I don't know if I like it more than Inside Out and Coco. That That's probably a personal taste thing. But yeah, I think that the ways that Soul has things to say about, like you said, um, deter like de the determination of someone's personality. I think the things it has to say about the, like appreciating the small things in life. I think the things that it has to say about finding a passion and finding like interests and hobbies is really good. I think all that stellar. Um, and yeah, I think it's a very, very well-made, good-looking, like, well-told uh, Pixar movie. I just think that it's a tad too broad. And because that broadness, it doesn't didn't hit me emotionally as much as Inside Out and Coco do. I think it's a that's the eight-minute film. Right. And that's the one thing that I have to say against it. Otherwise, I think it's beautiful and I think it's really, really, really good. I think it does something that Pixar does really well, and that is tell stories that aren't necessarily being told. Mm -hmm. This is a black film. Yeah. It heavily embraces that fact. And that's one of the things I took away from this is that they did so much to embrace it. The warmth, the color, the interaction, the characters. Everyone is unique in that film. Yeah. Even when they go into just blobs, you can still feel the characters in between them. And I think part of the reason why it works as well, that element of the film works as well as it does, because if you stay during the credits, they had countless of advisors and people helping them with making sure all of the cultural aspects were accurate. They had, they had their own committee. Um, yeah. The Not only in the extra features of of soul which is on disney plus because mm -hmm. you get those extra features with it you don't have to buy a dvd extra dvd blu-ray yeah. uh but as part of leading up to it inside pixar i think it's called inside pixar or their mm -hmm. imagineering team yeah i think so um explores several of the cases that you see in soul including the art direction mm -hmm. and that committee as well and I think you need that in this film because the story they're telling does have some potential risks. And what I mean by that is 
there's been a lot of discourse over the uh, over the last decade um, about movies like Princess and the Frog and the most recent uh, and that recent um, Will Smith Will Smith um, spy movie where he turns into the pigeon, where mm-hmm. a common pitfall spies in disguise. Yeah, yeah spies in disguise. Uh, there's a common pitfall in movies about black characters or minority characters in general where the story will take their cultural identity away in order to make something that's more palatable for a broader audience. Not just their identity, but in those two points, their physical Mm -hmm. being. And so, yeah, so early on in this movie, there's a moment where Christy and I kind of looked at each other as like, "Uh uh-oh, they're doing the thing. We were worried that they were going to commit and do the thing. Thankfully... They don't. They pull it back just enough where you do good enough of that. And you're right. They do pay attention to the ways that black culture can be represented thought, like represented thoughtfully. And you never really feel like they fell into that hole. That being said, I could I definitely can understand why some people might object to the fact that even when you do have that black character back on screen, he is inhabited by A white somebody woman. who who is not black and that he is put into the soul of a cat for a very long time, a portion of the film. So yeah, it's not perfect, but I think that for the most part, they did avoid that conversation um, at least in a general sense uh, by doing the things that they did with the story. And I think, yeah, mostly it's successful. Yeah. But you, it does serve as a plot point to where you when you get to the climax of the film between the father or the mother and son Mm -hmm. yeah that it has to come out that way and when they did the pan over in a Mm -hmm. very artsy move they put his voice back in his body yes so you have that connection in that moment and i did not yeah mess with that they had to do that and so yeah i i looked well early on the film it's established that Okay, well, we should pull back for a second and establish. So there's the main character, Joe, who is the jazz musician who is trying to get his big break. And there is, once he um, dies <laughs> for the film, or like goes into a coma, let's say, for the film purposes, um, he is then introduced to the uh, new soul, basically someone who has not lived on Earth yet, who is establishing uh, her, not like her personality before she goes on to living. And that's 22, the Tina Fey character. Uh, so, okay, moving back. Um, so there's a, mo- so yeah, it's established early on that 22 can imitate Joe's voice. And so you as the audience think like, oh, when they do the soul swap, she's going to be able to speak as him. So that won't be an issue. And yes, it is briefly brought up that that is something she is capable of doing successfully where people don't question it. But then for the audience's like for the audiences, I guess, um, like in order for there not to be confusion about who's in whose body, like she speaks as Tina Fey's voice for the rest of the film, even when she's in his body. And I th- and I remember looking at Christy and I'm, I'm thinking like, wait, why? That's a weird choice. Why did they do that when they could have had him to, at least in scenes where he's speaking to other characters, why do they have him speaking in Tina Fey's voice and they just accept it? And then when that scene you just mentioned happened, I realized why they did it because that scene only works if you have her speaking 
her her voice. Well, I think it's established Trump. that everyone can hear his yeah. voice out of his body. You just have to assume. You have to make that leap leap of logic and be like, well, okay. that's why they do that quick scene in the right. hospital bed well, where he yeah. sounds like himself, yeah. sounding crazy talking to the yeah. cat. That's what I'm saying. Is that's what I, that's my whole point is that they had to establish that because I do not think the scene with the mother works as well. No if you don't have that transition, because yeah, that transition is what makes it work. And you can, because you make that, again, you make a leap of logic where you think about, oh, so she, so the real Joe is whispering in her ear and she's just repeating this, but the emotional connection only works if you hear it from his voice. If you can see and hear it coming from this, the mouth. Right, so, so yeah, so if it wasn't done that way, yeah, they had to do it the way And that's also a very Pixar move Mm -hmm. of using not only camera movement and movie logic to convey something that isn't actually happening, but in the same room at the same time is yeah. happening. Right. It's, yeah, it just goes to show you that the, the Pixar method of just hammering out story things until they mesh perfectly still works. And this is just further example of like, of why stuff like, like Wonder Woman will try to bite off this stuff and they just can't do it because you need to make sure every story element works together like clockwork in order for this stuff to be believable. And this is just another example of why Pixar, some of the best of biz at doing that. Um, so yeah, I think, huh, I'm trying to think of what else like to, there's so much to talk about in this film. All right, uh, I'll oh. start with the beginning that um, <laughs> when Pixar starts to create something, it is black. Mm-hmm. And it is a void. There is nothing there. There's nothing in a computer. It is all blank. And so everything you see in an animated film has to be created from something from scratch. It's not like you can go to a building and start shooting that as an exterior and like, okay, we're going to walk into this building and we're going to move some stuff around. We're going to put a CGI on this thing. <laughs> and all of a sudden we make New York look like Detroit or whatever. Right. No, it starts from zero. And so everything in this film, including that interspace dimension that mm. is very trippy <laughs> and all the characters and their design is very trippy. But that's from someone's mind and they're able to put that into a physical space in a computer to give us this animated film. And then there's the music that accompanies it. And if I just, if if what I just said about everything being trippy from a visual (laughs) aspect, can we give Trent Reznor an Oscar here? Because (laughs) (laughs) he does, he matches that that yeah. those music cues almost perfectly yeah you might have competition though and that competition is himself because he'll probably <laughs> be nominated twice this year <laughs> he also did uh netflix's mank oh uh, yeah, yeah so he'll probably be nominated for the same thing for the same category against himself which will be funny uh, i think that what would happen seeing has how <laughs> few films are available right. for nomination this year right um, yeah, no, you bring up an excellent point, a couple of excellent points there. Yeah, so the, I love the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of a very convincing New York, which is very, treated very realistically. And then the, 
great before in like these otherworldly metaphorical areas. I love the character designs where you like you said, it's just like the souls are identifiable as the person they were, but still identifiable as souls, like as not human. So that works really well in an interesting way. I like that the kind of guides, the tutors Jerry's. are just these line designs, very Picasso, very cool, like cool looking guys. They're, they're um, single line, single wire structures. Right. And so I just love like, and again, this like people poo poo, like the fact that we can't have traditional 2D animation anymore, rightfully so, it sucks. I wish we, they could coexist with 3D animation. That being said though, Pixar continues to prove that there are things artistically you can only do in CGI as a medium. And stuff like this is that. Stuff like mm -hmm. this is stuff you cannot replicate how cool and weird and unique it is if it was in a 2D plane. The stuff, the stuff only works in 3D. I mean, you start with a storyboard of it being a 2D drawing, but right. yes. It comes to life. It comes to life. Yeah, when you do stuff like this. And yeah, they did it in, in Inside Out also, and they did it in Coco as well. It's like just mm -hmm. these, the, the ability to visualize these metaphors works, I think, best in a CG environment. Um, so yeah, I think, and yeah, you're right. The music complements... And so it's when uh, it's really interesting when they do decide to put music that is not just the 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 Trent Reznor Atticus Ross style of like kind of droning kind of out there surreal stuff. And when they do decide, oh, these characters are gonna enter the scene playing a Bob Dylan song, it makes it even more impressive because you're like, oh, that's cool that we 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 had this tone. It makes you realize how much that set the tone when the tone changes which is cool. Um, and, and I mean, while we're on the subject of music, I mean, the jazz here, like there's so much jazz strewn into the plot of this film. It's also very, very cool and accurate to... For like the first 20 minutes, I thought, oh, this is going to be a musical. Just like, so much music thrown into it. They could have. And there are, there's enough music here that people who want that will get that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, they did have... John Baptiste um, yes. come in as a consultant right. on Which all you, the music. You have to do that because if you're going to have a character, multiple characters in this film who are good at playing jazz, you need to have the jazz be good because if it's not, then it breaks the illusion. Um, so yeah, it's just like, there's just so much attention to detail with the music and the visuals um, that you don't get with a lot of like you didn't get, for example, like DreamWorks Sing, stuff like, or Illumination Sing, misattributed. But yeah, it's it's like that go, that shows, show, continues to show the difference between the kind of movies that Pixar puts out and the kind of movies that Illumination does is that they didn't actually go in to like do the work with the characters in Sing. No, they just said, here's this licensed song. Go for it. Have this character sing it. You can't do that over at Pixar. Over at Pixar, they had to like think like, who do we get to make sure that every note in here is good? Like just the just the amount of work that had to go into all of this to make, yeah, just great. Yeah, um, trying to think, is there anything else that we can say that's good about it or that's bad about it? Um, I think that one of the interesting things. So, I guess the question I have. Uh, I mean, it's going to vary from person to person, but I'm curious about how you did it. 
did this give you that patented Pixar emotional gut punch? There's a couple of moments in the movie that seem to be engineered to make it happen. The movie with the mother, uh, the scene with the mother that we talked about, Mm -hmm. the scene where he is basically reflecting on uh, what went wrong with 22 and looking at the objects that she um, collected and kind of having that meditation moment mm-hmm. that's i think the second one they literally have him cry in that scene which is supposed to be i guess your push-off point the reason why i ask if this worked for you is because it didn't both times i watched this and i'm seeing people on twitter saying that this film made them cry and it just did not have the punch for me the first time the scene in the mother made me cry okay the second time it didn't like the second uh the piano part didn't, mm-hmm. um, but I will say it did give me a existential crisis for a minute. <laughs> Very early on, when uh, they're doing the reflection of his life, yes, like oh god, what's mine going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know if it's meant to be that way, but it certainly hit that way. In order for the stuff at the end to work, I think you are meant to have that consideration. Even before the film came out, I remember reading the synopsis and seeing the trailer and thinking that like oh, geez, this is really, like, this is bioengineered to give people, like, identity crises. Like, some people in my life right now are going through similar things to this, like, kind of grappling with, like, oh, but if this career path doesn't work out, what happens to me next? What am mm-hmm. I going to do? And I think that this film directly attacks that, and it did have me concerned for a little bit. It's like, oh, no, this is going to destroy some people. But the way that they end it and the kind of this the place that it settles on meaning wise, I think is works. I think no matter where you're at, because it does kind of offer this non-solution of a solution, which is basically things are what you make it. And there's no be all end all answer to your question. It also does not give a finality to Joe's character. Right. Definitely leaves the door open of does he go right or does he go left? I mean, there is a debate you could have about whether or not he should have been given a second chance mm-hmm. because it is the movie does a pretty good job of showing that he is basically ready to embrace finality. I mean, he, he's literally on the road to finality right. until yeah. the, they step in. And yeah, so Fate part of me does in. wonder if they had chosen to just pull the trigger there and just allow him to finish his story. I wonder if that lesson would have been more poignant because if your lesson is the little things are what matters, don't get, don't sweat like the big goals in your life. Just think about the great re- like interactions you had with people and nature. Like if that's your lesson, then shouldn't have he just it would have been wouldn't have potentially meant more if he had accepted that that he had lived a fulfilled life the fact that they give him the extra chance suggests that well yes but it also is nice to let him continue doing i'd like to think that there was a initial draft where he did accept it 100 and then it gets cut to a to new souls being born and the cycle repeats itself. Yeah, or or let us know what happens with 22. Like, just give us a peek, kind of like the peek at the end of uh, Monsters, Inc., where we just get like a slight peek of what a world beyond for that character would be. Mm-hmm. That, I think, could have worked here, but instead they did the opposite. 
they said, oh no, instead of giving you the 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 like the 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 peek into 22's life, we're going to assuage the audience that Joe is still alive and living his life and not talk about 22's at all. I want to say in test screen for this, a lot of people said, wait, what happened to Joe? Did mm-hmm. like if you just ended right there, the last place you right. see him is at the piano. And you don't see him after yeah. that until the very end. So I think if initial test screens, a lot of people went, but what happened to him? Yeah, Because we right. followed him through this journey and then that's the last place you see him for the past 15 minutes. Yeah, you're right. It's a happier ending to do with the, I think they probably did choose the better ending audience-wise. Mm-hmm. You're right. I just think that- Because it's for, for me, kids. It's yeah, for I know. Kids. Well, is it though? Because that's another kind of conversation that's happening yeah. about this. Uh, film a lot of people are saying there's not a whole lot for kids to hold on to except for the talking cat um <laughs> there's it, it's such an adult story about adult characters in a, in a lot of ways the most so that the pixar movie has been i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying that it's interesting thing. is that they're fully embracing and i think maybe that this script doesn't end up the way it did if say into the spider-verse hadn't been such a hit right i imagine a pixar that would be less willing to make an adult story in animation if they hadn't seen an, a pretty adult story being told in that film so successfully right but i assume this was also in development before that film i mean in some shape in some or aspect, form. yeah but once you see it yeah. you say oh we can pivot it to a more adult story that's why i said the script and not the film because i want to say that a lot of pixar stuff is concept first script second well a lot of it is also fix the script as we're fixing the editing mm-hmm. right exactly so yeah so like that's um it's interesting that they decided what they decided because yeah for me just personally for me um I think that the lesson of the film maybe would have benefited from some finality to his story. Just saying. But it doesn't make it that much less poignant. I think it still matters. I think it's a good lesson. I think a lot of people need to, especially in a year like 2020, need to think about, oh, these really big, broad hopes and dreams that I have, what if they don't pan out? And that, I think is the source of a lot of people's anxiety and existential dread. And I think this film, I hope that this film offers a little bit of a balm for that, like offers a little bit of like an alternative for people who are having that freak out, especially this year. Oh yeah, no, especially this year when you feel like your life has been on pause for a whole year. Right. That is like, yeah, what am I doing? Is this the time to pivot? Is this the time to not pivot? If I don't pivot, it's just just the path I'm set on. Or if I do pivot, will it lead to prosperity or doom? Yeah, it's a very, it's a count your blessings kind of style uh, lesson. But it's not, but I feel like a lot of people, like when people hear people say count your blessings, it's very easy to be like, come on, man. Uh, there are bigger problems. And but this film figures out a way to say that, but also make it seem like it's a very like, like like galaxy brain like thing to think about like it's like oh wait but what if like it was just the pizza that you ate the other day what if it is just this conversation that you had at the barbershop like there are yeah I think that it does a good job of presenting these things like these big existential things that actually matter in a human's life which is cool um 
trying to think if there's anything we haven't touched on. Um, well, while you're thinking of that, I want to give you our top 10 from <laughs> when we did the Pixar list. Oh, jeez. You're going to make see me... Where, see if it ranks your top 10. Yeah, but this isn't necessarily my list. It was the list that we determined. Well, this is our ranking. Right, right, right. So we have Coco, uh-huh. Toy Story 3, yeah, Inside Out, Ratatouille, Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., WALL-E, and Up. I think that with some distance from this list, I think you see Toy Story 3 moving down a few, and I think you see this being in, yeah, you're probably right. This probably does show up in that top five instead of Toy Story for me. Okay. I think maybe, because like I said, I think it's as well made as Inside Out is. I just think that the story in Inside Out is so more specific that it worked better emotionally for me than this does. But to each their own. Oh. I would say it might be like six or seven on my list. Okay. All right. Um, One thing that I did want to bring up is that if anybody is in a situation where they have um, a 4K television with HDR, let me tell you, if you want something that proves that the thing you bought does the thing it's supposed to do, Soul is that movie. Yeah. I thought it was going to be Wonder Woman going into this weekend. And then instead, Wonder Woman is a film that makes wants to believe that wants you to believe that it's from 1984. So it's covered in film grain, which means that even the 4K stuff does not look that great. Flash to Soul, which is a film that is one very like well rendered. It's like Pixar at the absolute height of their powers. Then combine that with a basically like with the metaphorical world that is filled with like neon bright lights and the HDR shines. I have never seen HDR on this TV that looked as good as in this movie. It's a fantastic demo. If you have, for I just like it's too bad I can't have people over because I just want to have somebody over and put them in front of this and like, hey, you don't understand HDR? Here, this will make you understand HDR. Just watch this for a second. I'll be over Thursday. <laughs> you watch through the window <laughs> but yeah just the scene where uh scene with the with the great beyond the giant like light spectacular on this television <laughs> i was literally it was like i had all the lights off to, for best effect maximum effect and i was just like that's bright <laughs> great it's fantastic just fantastic technical feat that they pulled off here but also like we said a really poignant lesson and a story that works and just an attention to detail at a studio that is known for it. And yeah, no, it's just a stellar, it's a stellar movie. Easily top five for me this year. Well, yeah, you've only seen six. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was going to say, because I still don't have it. I don't have a number five. You don't have a five? I'm struggling. Uh, I, need a, I need to figure out a five before we record the movie podcast. Uh, because speaking I, of, I left it for Wonder Woman, and I don't. It didn't make it. <laughs> right. Speaking of, this episode is indeed coming out on Tuesday because yes. we still have our final uh, <laughs> film episode of 2020 to 
uh, create, and then yes. we still have our 2020 wrap-up to create. Yes, what we're referring to is, yes, our year-end wrap-up series, which is happening right now for people who are subscribers to our um, our podcast feeds. We've already, we, if you've listening to this, you've already heard our wrap-up episodes for television and, um, no, for video games and music. Uh, as we go on, we'll tackle television and film. And like you said, we'll have a year-end, um, special year-end special where we're talking, we'll talk about the year to come, 2021, and what it means for the media we enjoy. So yes, like I said, if you are a subscriber to our podcast feeds, you will have all of those and more to listen to during your holiday break. And yeah, I guess that's a best time, better time than ever to wrap this episode of the podcast up into a nice tidy package for you and say goodbye to 2020. Bye-bye uh, 2020. Bye-bye season five. We'll be back yes. next week with season six. Yeah, I guess so. And the new year in 2021 and whatever that will offer for yeah. us. So let's do some plugs. Why don't we? Thank you for really? listening to the Media Boat podcast over the course of this year. Um, this, uh, we are on YouTube. If you want to see the video version of this podcast, youtube.com, just search media boat podcast and find our page, like subscribe, comment, whatever you do on YouTube, do it with us. If you want to listen to the audio version though, we are also on there. audio version uh, of our podcast is available on all sorts of podcast services. You name it. We got it. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google play, Apple podcasts, wherever you can find us Just search media boat podcast. Like I said, that's also where you can catch the year-end wrap-up episodes as they go up. You can also find us on some of our writing on MediaBoatPodcast.com. You can find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at MediaBoatCast. Facebook, search MediaBoatPodcast. Find our page. Like, comment there as well. And if you have questions, comments, any feedback, feedback for the show, you can send that to MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. We will read those emails. I guarantee it. That will do it for this podcast, this episode, and 2020 from the Media Boat Podcast. So, thank you all for listening to yes. another season of the Media Boat Podcast. Wow, we did it. We did Boom. it. Yay. Put it in the can. That's a wrap. Like we'll I said, 2020 is not technically over for us as we have the year end wrap up podcast still to come, but thank you. We'll be back with a regular episode of the podcast in the new year. So, stay tuned for that. All right, bye. Goodbye.